This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Well, it's another win, another night. We don't get to embrace the tank, Eddie, as the Ducks take down. The Arizona Coyotes, 3-1, to one, or what probably should have been 4-1, to one, but, uh, you know, we got to throw in a BS offside rules call every once in a while to make me happy. It wasn't that bad. I don't like the uh, rule, but I feel like the, the call wasn't that bad, but who cares, right? They won. doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, feels weird, right? It, to be winning? It's like too late, too little too late <laughs> at this point, and uh, most people are just, it, it's it's a tough situation to be in, because it's, it, I don't think I've ever been here where people are upset that they're, they're winning games, because it would honestly <laughs> be better for the franchise at this point to not win games, and uh, no, they're, they're playing some of their best hockey, and they saved it for the final uh, 15 games of the season. Yeah, and you know what, this game wasn't even that good. It really wasn't that good of a game for the Ducks. I mean, Arizona had a lot to win in tonight's game. They were playing for a lot. They're they're you know gunning for the playoffs right now, trying to sneak in, trying to get in. And uh, the Ducks shut them down, but all thanks to the power play, man. What? Oh, my God. The power play looked great tonight. It was uh, some of the best power play, I guess, setups the Ducks have had all year where they're actually getting some sustained zone time. The, the goals weren't pretty. I guess you could say Terry's was a, a pretty decent setup because it was a cross-ice pass to a guy that was wide open. You know, the Ricard Raquel's was a tip-in off Adam Henrique, but it's still a you know, benefit to Adam Henrique going to the net anyway. So I, I like what they did. And this was not against a bad penalty kill either. I mean, the Arizona Coyotes are one of the best penalty kills in the league. And not only that, they're the, one of the most dangerous penalty kills in the league because they have, I think, they're leading the league in shorthanded goals. So not only did the Ducks do well on their own power play, they did well on the penalty kill tonight. So they really won this game with special teams, which is something I don't think we've said all year. No, I've been complaining about the power play forever. I think most people have. It's kind of like you give the Ducks a power play, so there's just a waste of two minutes. Maybe we're going to see an odd man rush shorthanded for the other team. But the Ducks took care of business tonight on that. It was Ryan Kessler's 1,000th game. Which, uh, besides going to the penalty box, he wasn't really noticeable. But, dude's a warrior and been through hell and back, man. So, cool to see him hit that uh, that milestone. And uh, the Ducks able to get a, a victory for him tonight. But, uh, much to the, the chagrin of people who are hoping for Kako or Hughes or any of, uh, you know, getting in a top prospect like that. So, it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough being a Ducks fan right now. 
<laughs> like, it should, winning games shouldn't be tough. I'm like cheering in my office for goals. I'm like, yes, and then when I'm done, I'm like, damn it, like. You're like, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Can I just be happy? Going. You're happy that this going. Like, oh, yeah, Troy Terry scored. Oh, yeah, Ricard Raquel finally scored. And then he obviously didn't. But then you're, like, happy for these guys are scoring. And then the game over. And then you, like, kind of sit back and you go back and look at the standards. You're like, oh, damn, L.A. lost tonight. Oh, you know, like, New Jersey lost. Detroit lost. And, you know, now the Ducks are sitting, like, farther out of a top five pick. Really no chance of playoffs in sight. So it's like, damn it, like. I, I'm happy they're winning, but I'm also I'm not happy that they're winning. Like, what what are we what am I supposed to feel? Well, the good news is is that we get to see a lot of the youngsters come up and play really good hockey. I think they're they're playing honestly some of the best hockey that this team has seen all season. Right, thanks to those kids coming up with Max Jones, Sam Steele, Troy Terry, um, Goulet, who's been coming over from the Montour trades, made an impact. And unfortunately, we'll talk about him as he is injured did not return i don't think he played after the second period right no he didn't and he was he blocked a shot and then he didn't play for most of the second period and then didn't come back and they said it was an upper body injury not sure where he blocked the shot but you have to assume it's you know probably a hand injury or something like that if he ends up missing the game so hopefully it's not long term because the last four games for him since joining the ducks he's been one of the best players on this team in general and we talked about him in length on the last show and and how just how well he's done how well he's fit with cam fowler and that that's a big loss for the ducks not only just because you know they're playing good hockey right now but he's a young guy that was finally fitting in on this ducks team and uh, was looking really good and you know it's tough to lose him at that point no it's huge it's a huge loss mostly because we would like to see um and that's hope it's not long term i don't want to jump the gun here and assume we know what's wrong with him but if it is some sort of long-term, you know, three to four week injury, broken hand, something horrific like that, that's a real big bummer because all this short sample size business that I've been so excited about and you've been excited about, but been very careful to keep me in check on, uh, it kind of all goes down the <laughs> toilet for the rest of the season, right? It'd be, it's just nice yeah. to see if you can get these kids playing at a high level in the NHL and what we can come around to expect come training camp. You know, they got six months till training camp, uh, you know, thereabouts. So there's plenty of time for them to improve, work on their game. But it's just cool to see these kids go up and play well. So if he if Gooley's hurt for any, any extended period of time this season, it's just kind of a shame. But, uh, you know, he'll come back stronger and healthier, and we'll see him here, um, you know, when he comes back for the rest, if he comes back this season or, uh, you know, if at worst we're talking training camp. Yeah, I mean, it's just tough because it's not the only one, right? Like, you have Derek Grant and Nick Ritchie who just went on the lineup for injuries. Devin Shore got hurt the other game. Thank so they, they God that can't... was a Charlie horse for Devin Shore, man. Yeah, Charlie horse, I think they said a hyperextended knee. Like, it could have yeah. been a lot worse based off what we saw from the hit. But, like, it, it's just ridiculous. You can't escape it. The Ducks can't get away from these. As, as minor as the, at least the three injuries we know about are, the Ducks just can't get away from having guys out of the lineup with injury. It's, it's just impossible. Like, what, guy, one guy will come back, another guy will go out of the lineup. We, like Derek Grant and Nick Ritchie, they finished the games that, that they were presumably injured in, and then it comes out that they're injured and they can't play, and now they've missed two games, the both of them. And it's just it's unbelievable. Like, we've seen this, for like we said on the last show, for the last, like, four or five seasons with the Ducks, but it's crazy that how it just keeps continuing, like, throughout the entire season. Guys just keep going down when, when other guys come back, you know. We get Gibson and Getzloff back, and then two other guys go down, and then another guy goes down, and then we get a third game in a row where another guy gets injured, and it's just like it, it never ends. 
Hey, you know what, though? I mean, let's not rush anyone back from any sort of injury in this season, right? Like, let let, yeah. let Richie heal up. Let Grant heal up. I mean, if Goulet's injured and they're kind of iffy about bringing it back, there's no rush in bringing it back. Let's just let these guys heal and uh, prepare for next season at this point. You would think if there's any sort of long-term injury, um, there's no need to rush a guy back, especially because like, these kids are filling out the roster and it's fun. So, as you mentioned, though, with the injuries to Richie and um, – and to Grant, you're going to see a call up here. And with obviously Devin Shore being out, Jacob Larson and Sam Steeler back up in the lineup, which is which is interesting to bring Larson back up. But I guess why not give him another shot? Um, Miller's in net. and no, then uh, He's not even playing. <laughs> why not give him another shot? shot he's not yeah, even in the lineup. I was going to get to the lineup because I was like, why not give him a shot? Because I saw it on Twitter. And I was like, wow, they're going to bring him back up. Maybe he's going to play with Manson again. No, he doesn't even get in the lineup. <laughs> They play Jacob Mechna and Corbinian Holzer instead. So, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I thought that uh, the first period was pretty good. So, you you want to do you want to hop into that? That was some wide open hockey. Yeah, it, actually, you know, it's been a trend for the Ducks lately, where you know earlier on in the season it was they would just get blown out and they wouldn't get a shot for about the first five or ten minutes. And now they've kind of flipped the script and done that to other teams. And you look at this game. Through the first 12 minutes, the Ducks were out shooting Arizona 8-0. Mm-hmm. And they, they end up getting the first goal of the game uh, right after they had a power play. And it's a point shot, just a simple point shot from Josh Manson. And uh, who else right now but Jacob Silverberg, where he's not only scoring goals from his patented wrist shot like he did the other game where he's popping the water bottle. He's getting a lot of deflections and a lot of goals. You know, He didn't get the deflection on the Matt Calvert goal, but he's going to the front of the net, which is not something we're used to seeing from Jacob Silverberg. But that's the reason that he has 18 goals on the season is, and is leading the Ducks. He's just doing it in a bunch of different ways. And, you know, again, we never disputed that he was, wasn't was worth what he was getting in his contract. And uh, he's showing that he's worth it. He's putting the puck in the back of that on a regular basis. I think it's six in the last ten games for him. He's killing it. And, you know, they originally awarded that, I think, to Ryan Getzloff, right? And then they come back yeah. and, and they switched it over because he did get the tip in. So was that his... 18th of the season yep yeah he's so he's two away from it in that 20 goal mark which is basically what uh what Sibelberg is you know we've come to expect from him I think he's definitely gonna hit that don't you oh easily yeah he's he's got what how many games are left after this one 15 games left and he needs to get two goals the the pace that he's on like I said six in, in his last 10 games he should hit it easily before there's five games left this year even, even if he goes on a little slump he 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 should easily hit 20. He can get close to 25 the way he's playing right now. He just has to get a goal in, in every other game, which he's been doing lately. And he seems to be the only one who's able to put the puck in the back of the net on a consistent basis for the Ducks. So I, I can see it possible that he ends up getting 20 to 25 this year. And let's not forget, he's been injured. He was injured off and on this season, right? He hasn't had a full season. So maybe you know a full year, you're looking at his numbers a little differently now, right? We're just down the stretch on a losing team. Maybe he's talking; he's already at 25. Maybe he's closer to 30. So it's not a stretch for how for how well he's been playing. Um, I, I'm yeah. just I'm happy someone's scoring goals because <laughs> we went so long until Bob Murray took over. No, for real, and and you know we talked about the power play a little bit. Uh, prefacing what happened in this game but the ducks came close to getting you know three power play goals in this game because in the first after archibald went off for boarding adam henrique hits the post i think that was one of three posts for this guy in the game and one of the posts he had late in the game was on an empty netter where he ended up not being oh he pulled a mcdavid 
Yeah, he pulled yeah. a David. He got waved off anyway. It wouldn't have counted either way because it still would have been offside. But, yeah, I mean, they, they come close. And here, they, they act the power play pretty much every time. I don't want to say literally every time because they did have five power plays, and I think one or two of them weren't that great. But they had about the, the two they scored on in this one where they actually looked like that they, they're a, a lot better than they have been this year. And uh, the, a couple chances here and there. And like I said, it doesn't get registered as a shot on goal. But Henrik hitting the post was uh, as close as they would come to getting a second goal in the first period. And then the Ducks would get put in a tough spot uh, against a team who doesn't have a great power play this year. They're, they're more so known for their penalty kill. But Kessler goes off for cross-checking. And then six seconds into that penalty, Manson throws the puck over the glass. And it becomes a two-man advantage. But the Ducks are able to kill it off, not only from great play from Ryan Miller but just a, a great setup on the penalty kill where those guys were out there for pretty much the entire minute and 54 seconds. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was it was all Ryan Miller. That that whole penalty kill was all Ryan Miller. Yeah. I, I mean, they made some good efforts to get the puck out, but when you're having to do zone for a minute 54 on a 5-on-3, Ryan Miller had to make about three or four pretty big saves on, on that uh, that five-on-3 power play for Arizona. The old uh, man's but, got some game left in him, man. He uh, does. He's, it's, it's no joke. All the rumors floating around about him wanting to play another year. It's like, I don't see why not. I mean, he could definitely play hockey. Yeah, he had, he looks just as good as he was last year, where he was argued to be one of the best backups in the league, and he's pretty much done that this year. Look at his numbers. I mean, he's been great. He picks up another win today, only lets in one goal, which is a goal that you can't blame him for too much because the Ducks have a bad change that allows Archibald and Kraus to get some space and, and get a clean zone entry. And then Kraus does a great job of using the Ducks player as a screen and just wires it top corner, uh, blocker side on Ryan Miller. Not much you can do because he doesn't really see the puck when it's released off Kraus's stick. And then it's just a perfect pinpoint shot to the top corner. I, again, not much Miller can do on that one. But other than that goal, he was 100% this entire game. Well, yeah, that's the only goal he'd give up. And I, I feel like Arizona didn't get too many in the way of high-danger chances after that. I mean, you want to hop to the second period, that was about as boring of a period as we could see. Yeah, the, the second period, <laughs> the, the notes I had for that period Good. were, I had like five things written down because there's a couple penalties. You have penalty, 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 boring period, three minutes remaining, and then penalty. <laughs> Well, three minutes remaining, Getzlaff got some good pressure, and that was like literally the only thing that happened in that entire period that was exciting. And then Steele ends the period, goes off for hooking, and that was it. I mean, the shots were 10 to uh, 8 for the Ducks in that period, but they were all perimeter shots for both teams. Like, nothing really happened. No big saves, obviously no goals. Not a lot of really good high danger chances for either team in that period. It was just a, a really, really down period. And you can even see it when you go in and look at uh, the scoring chances in that period. A lot of them came for Arizona. But even then, like, you know, the, the second period was Arizona's best period out of this entire game where they started to get some momentum back. But other than that, like the Ducks couldn't get anything going whatsoever. And Arizona just couldn't cash in on their chances. And then you go into the third, and, and this was one of the best third periods I've seen for the Ducks in a while because they actually picked up their, their pace of play. They, they didn't sit back. They they didn't wait and see what Arizona would do. They they you know they had to kill the penalty off early, and right from that, they just pushed the entire game. And, and you know, Silverberg ends up getting tripped. The Ducks go to the power play, and that's where they end up getting their second goal of the game by what I thought was Ricard Raquel. 
but he just can't buy a goal just no. much like <laughs> yeah much like uh, um max jones can't buy a goal right now he ends up shooting it in off adam henrique who gets his seventh power play goal of the season which is ridiculous he only has 13 on the season oh, so, so over half, half are coming on the power play yeah and so if anybody's been able to score on the power play this year it's been adam henrique which you know to his credit I, he, he's been a guy i've criticized for wondering at times why he's on the power play but when you've got you know more more goals than been pretty much everybody on the power play this year for the ducks that's why he's there he's able to put the puck in the back of the net and uh, yes it's a great deflection we talked about Jakob silverberg getting deflection on manson's goal adam henry going to the net getting a tip in off uh, ricard raquel's shot this was probably going in anyway it was a really good play shot uh, but Adam Henry gives it that nice little touch just to get it into the top corner. Yeah, I mean, what, what are you going to do if you're, if you're Kemper? It's like, well, okay, they got a good win in on me. There's nothing he could do. That A deflection that late coming in from Henry, that soft tip. I almost thought it didn't hit him. I thought it hit Kemper and then went to the top corner. Um, but I guess it did tip the front of, uh, I think it was Henrik's blade and go top shelf there. So nice goal by Henry. You know, net front presence. And this is the, you know, the Ducks power play was just killing it tonight. They're on fire, and uh, they got a couple good chances uh, after that a little bit. They uh, end up going back to the power play, and there's a big net front scramble in front of Kemper. He's just flopping everywhere on this play. Somehow it doesn't go in the back of the net, which was uh, – I, I couldn't believe it. it ended up getting out in the play. It reminded me of, of John Gibson the other game where he was flopping all over the place, and somehow they didn't put the puck in the back of the net. But they do get one on this power play, very late with only five seconds remaining. And it's Troy Terry again. He's been finding the back of the net. We talked about how uh, we were worried about his finishing ability on the last show. And uh, he receives a really nice pass from Jakob Silverberg. And he just wires it. He basically just puts it right through Darcy Kemper. He doesn't pick a corner or anything. He kind of just puts everything he can on this shot. He had all day. He had all day. Yeah. Yeah, and he just he just overpowers Kemper and, and gets the, the wrist shot to squeak through him into the back of the net. And it's nice to see Troy Terry converting because he's been doing just as well as Max Jones has lately, and he's starting to put the, the puck in the back of the net, which is really good for him. Yeah, and that play, they were in that zone for probably almost the whole power play. The, the, the Arizona Coyotes were dead. There was nothing they could do to get the puck out. The Ducks just dominated by keeping the puck in. They got to every loose puck. Um and it's it was just incredible to watch them actually be able to sustain control like that. I know this isn't the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Nashville Predators or the Jets, but I mean, come on, our Ducks haven't had this type of play all season. So it was nice to see them be able to hem a team in the zone like that and dominate, and then be able to finish it off with a goal, nonetheless. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's nice to see them actually playing well and and getting you know Troy Terry, Max Jones, a lot of the young guys just playing well and the power play playing well. It, it's a lot. Uh, a lot more improved play lately. And I know I said the Ducks' style hasn't been different since Bob Murray has taken over, but it's starting to – they're starting to prove me wrong. They're, they're looking they're looking a lot better. They, they are, honestly. Defensively, they're a lot more uh, capable in their own zone. They're not making as many mistakes. And, and that's surprising since you had a guy like Brandon Monto move out and you brought in a young 21-year-old guy and you have Magnan Holzer as your bottom pairing. Oh. And then offensively, they're still not – putting the puck in the back of the net on a regular basis you know there's still a very poor offense and when it comes to nhl standards but they're looking better they're they're getting more opportunities they still struggle to cash in on those opportunities but you get games like this where they are looking better and, and really the last three or four games for this for this team 
they've played better than their opposition. I think this one, five on five, Arizona probably had the edge, but the Ducks really took it to them on the power play, and that's why they won this game, just special teams in general. Uh, to finish off the game, the Ducks do get an empty net goal, which gets waved off, of course, because it's Ricard Raquel. He just he can't buy a goal lately. He gets one that goes in off Adam Henrique, and then he gets an empty net goal. The stupid dreaded off, uh, offsides rule is just the dumbest rule in hockey, next to the instigator rule. Yeah, it, it, it's a dumb rule, but the call is... The call is the right hey, call. By the book, I guess end. if you want to say his skate's a half inch off the ice, so that means he's offside, sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't like the rule, but as the rule goes right now... That's the way it is. That's the way it is, unfortunately, for Ricard Raquel. I, I get why they make, you know, why Talk is going to make that call at that point. Like, why... You, you're down 4-1 if you don't make that decision to even just challenge for offside, even if it was a lot closer than that. I mean, that's almost as close as you can get. You got to do something at that point, right? Like, if it's challenging for offside, if it's challenging for goaltender interference, obviously there isn't going to be any on that play. But if you have a chance to just go for it and challenge it and at least still be down two with a minute 30 left, you still got a chance to get back in the game. But they don't. The Ducks end up winning their second straight 3-1. to one. And another solid performance, which unfortunately for Team Tank isn't a good thing that the Ducks are winning games. But it is nice to actually finally watch this team play some fun hockey and actually play well. They're not just luckily winning games anymore. They're actually playing some good hockey and and dominating teams at times. Can I talk about my favorite play that happened tonight? Go for it. So my favorite play that happened tonight was Ryan Getzloff poking the puck between Nicholas Jarmelson's legs at the blue line, going in on a breakaway, and then passing the puck to Jacob Silverberg, who whiffs on the shot because even yeah. he thought that it was way too obscene and too late to even think about passing the puck if you're Ryan Getzloff, yet he does anyway, goes into Silverberg's feet, and he whiffs on the shot. No shot on goal. That's such a Getzloff play, and I love the guy. Such a Getzloff play. <laughs> it's it's where nobody thinks he's going to be able to get uh, the pass off, and he ends up getting it off. That that's typical Ryan Getzloff, and and you you, you just never know what he's going to do. And, and so Silverberg's completely surprised on that play. But if you're going to get it to anybody, and anybody's going to put it in the back that are at net right now, it's going to be Jakob Silverberg. The only person who probably would have caught that pass and ripped it, and not saying he would have scored, would have probably been Corey Perry. That's it. Probably. Perry would have known. To, he knows. He knows, right? <laughs> he he knows, knows exactly what Ryan Getzlaff's going to do because he's been on his wing for the majority of his career. That was my favorite play. That was definitely my favorite play of the night for sure. Well, what do we uh, what do we do now? I mean, the Ducks go into tomorrow. They play the St. Louis Blues with the chance to win three games in a row. Yeah. And if we look at the standings right now, uh, I'm going to check to see because I know L.A. was playing Montreal today and Detroit played as well. And I, I, I have to see if they won because Ottawa picked up a point uh, losing it overtime to the Islanders. Detroit picked up an, a point losing it overtime to Colorado. Um, the Devils picked up a point losing in a shootout to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And right now L.A. is losing 2 nothing to the Montreal Canadiens. The Ducks with the win pick up one point on all of those teams. And if L.A. loses, pick up two points on the L.A. Kings. That's not great for the Ducks right now when you're trying to tank, right? Like if you're trying to finish the season and get as high pick as possible, you know, they're now at 61 points, which is five up on the L.A. Kings. 
And the LA Kings have two games in hand, but they'll blow one of those tonight if they lose. They so are, the Ducks are in fifth place right now. Uh, they are, yes. They're, they're in A fifth, fifth place. A fifth to the bottom, two, sorry. Yes, two points up on, on New Jersey Devils. They're five points up now on the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings have one game in hand, and they're now nine points up on the Ottawa Senators. So they're slowly moving their way their way up the standings. I mean, they're only two points behind Chicago and Vancouver right now. Like, again, this isn't a team that's going to make the playoffs, but they're they're slowly moving into that mediocre territory, which is never a good place to be in if no, you're, it's not. you're a bad team. You know, finishing a you know, 9, 10, 11 in your conference is probably the worst places you could finish because you're not really getting that great of a draft pick but you know you're not making the playoffs either. It, honestly, well, obviously ninth is one of the is probably the worst place to finish. Like the Florida Panthers last year, where you just miss out on the playoffs by one point, then you don't even get rewarded with a good pick. You get a middle of the pack pick. The Ducks are slowly moving in that direction, especially if they continue to win games. You still think they finish sub eighty, like I said? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're only at sixty one. They only have a possible. 30 points after tonight so the, the most they can get to is 91 that's if they won out the entire season which they're not going to do so i still think they, they finished sub 80 but there's going to be a lot of teams who finish sub 80 all, all five of those teams it's I a great year for sub 80 this year <laughs> yeah all those teams i mentioned are going to finish sub 80 points this year so and the ducks play the kings a couple times before the end of the year I don't think they play Detroit, Ottawa, or New Jersey anymore. So it all depends on, on how those teams finish out on their own. And then they have to figure out what they're going to do as well. And then some of the teams around the Vancouver, who they play a couple more times, or at least one more time, will be a big game in the standings for that case on who's going to finish lower. Um, it, it's such a tough position to be in, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, because you want them to play good hockey. I don't want to sit here and, and go and watch the Ducks play and root for them to lose. But... I'm not as disappointed when they lose because there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's Jack Hughes. There's Capo Caco if they lose games. Now you're getting in that position where, yeah, it's nice they're winning games, but they're moving up in the standings. They're getting farther and farther away, not only from those two, but from even a top five pick. I mean, yes, they're they're fifth right now, fifth from the bottom, but they're not too far out from being sixth, seventh, eighth. You know, there's a few teams that are in front of them that they're really close to right now. I mean, they're not anywhere close to making the playoffs. So even in the wild card, they're far enough back. Yeah, I don't. I'm not talking about playoffs. Yeah, I mean they're they're 11 points out of the last wild card spot. I mean, I'm not concerned about that. But if they, if they, you're right, if they creep up too close, then it's like cool. You get a top 20 pick or a top 15 pick. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so yeah. you're gonna you're gonna get you're gonna get like 10th, 11th, something like that. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah, it's, like you still can get a good player at ten or eleven, but it's not as guaranteed as getting a top five is. And and at that point, like but this, this just means that the, the 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 ducks aren't trying to do this. Like, it's just well, not, nobody nobody's not trying to. I don't think any team tries to tank openly. I don't think players are open <coughs> to the idea. Buffalo, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, but I that was <laughs> that's like what Ottawa did this year. The team sold off like all their guys, and they just couldn't compete. They just weren't good. Like the Senators aren't a good team. But they're still they're still competing down there. They're still taking teams lately to overtime and making the games close. So even the Senators, as bad as they are, are can you still imagine Jack Hughes games. goes there? That's, what it won't? Well, it's just, not going to be there. Uh, oh no, they have to give their Colorado. pick. They have to give their yeah. pick to Colorado. 
keep forgetting that. Yeah, it's it's gonna be Colorado who ends up getting him. So it's not even gonna be the Sens. It'll be Colorado, Detroit, so... uh, New Jersey, or uh, or the Ducks, and, and hopefully not the LA Kings. Honestly, I would rather him go to Detroit or New Jersey over going to LA. But LA is creeping on that point where but they how, can how good is that in Ottawa? I don't want. I know this is not. A senator's podcast, and nor will it we ever be. We talk about the senators at least once every show. But you have to, like Eugene Melnick, the tire fire that he's created, right? You know, between between the Uber issue that happened, uh, Eric Carlson leaving, everyone bagging on them for not getting enough back for Eric Carlson, and then now they get rid of Duchesne, they, they trade Mark Stone because they can't resign him, and they get rid of Ryan Dezingle. Um <laughs> What just an absolute joke. They get rid of any reason that anybody would ever want to play there, and then then there's a then there's like, oh cool, we have a oh we're not going to get our first overall pick that goes to Avalanche. The, the like, only way that this doesn't turn out bad for them is if they finish with like the third or fourth pick, because then they can justify last year. Last year we had the four pick, and you know this year we had the four pick again, so we didn't lose out on anything. Then it all then it all determined you know becomes what do, do those players turn out to be? What does Brady Kachuk turn out to be compared to who they could have got? At Didn't they four? just lose their arena deal too? Yeah, they've uh, <laughs> That's things so in Ottawa, brutal. Things, things things in Ottawa aren't going good, but uh, I mean neither are things in Anaheim right now. Besides the Ducks winning games, but they do sign a player who's been playing in San Diego for the last little bit of, of this season, Simon Benoit signs a three-year entry-level contract, which makes him eligible now to actually play for the Anaheim Ducks. I think he was just on an AHL deal mm. before this, so he wasn't able to come up. Uh, I don't think he will. I think he's going to be with San Diego for the rest of the season, but it gives the Ducks another option down the road if uh, he's impressing in San Diego and they want to call somebody up because right now you look at who is up here right now with Jacob Magda and, and Corbinian Holzer and you know Jacob Larson as well. There is plenty of, of chances for all of these guys down there. Josh Maharis and, and Benoit as well. Uh, uh, Andy Walensky to come up again. Like There's open spots right now on the blue line for anybody down there to come up and impress. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about him as a player. But, uh, you know, the Ducks have always done a good job at, at getting in prospects and develop, developing them well. Do you know much about him? I don't know too much about him. And I believe he was a guy they just signed he wasn't a guy they drafted, and uh, he's just had a pretty solid year with San Diego. I believe he came out of the QMJHL, and uh, it's it's one of those you know the Ducks have looked there lately for a lot of undrafted players. They went there for Giovanni Fiore, who they brought in. I don't think he's part of the organization anymore. I can't remember if they they ended up getting rid of him or not. I think he went out in a trade, but. They've looked to the QMJHL not just for players they've drafted, like Comtois Moran, but for a lot of undrafted players as well. I mean, Hunter Drew is a guy they drafted in the QMJHL recently. So the Ducks generally, over the, the years in where they've drafted, they have trends where for a while it was college, uh, for a bit it was the OHL, now it's the QMJHL is, is a place they're really looking forward to. And, and again, you know, I don't know too much about him, but I would love to see him get a shot eventually. I mean, it's a good sign that they signed him to an ELC. They like what they've seen from him, and they're about to give him another shot. And I think eventually he will get at least one game with the Ducks because they always like to see what guys can do. They always give a lot of their young players a chance to prove themselves. Don't think it's going to be this year, but eventually I think he'll get a shot with the team. 
Yeah, you mentioned Gio, uh, Giovanni Fiore. He actually was uh, moved to the Arizona Coyotes system. So he's actually playing for the Tucson Roadrunners. Just kind of an interesting little thing there. I looked it up when you were talking. I was like, I remember that guy. I remember seeing yeah. him. So, yeah, well, I mean, he's... they signed him uh, undrafted and he when he scored 50 goals in that league. And, Speedy you know, guy. He was, one, yeah, he was one of three guys to do that. And it's never – and yes, you know, overagers generally do better in, in Canadian junior leagues. But it's never a bad thing to give those guys a shot. You know, Tampa Bay recently signed a 50-goal score out of the QMJHL, and Alexandre Berboulet, I think, if I'm saying his name right, um, and they brought him into their AHL system, and he's done really well there. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys always get a chance. Um, Dallas just signed Ty Fellhalber out of the OHL as a 50-goal scorer this year. He could hit 60 this year. He was a former top pick in the OHL, and, and you know, it's never a bad thing to try and get these guys because they could just be late bloomers. And you bring him into your system, and all of a sudden you end up getting a guy that nobody drafted, and you just signed him, and he could turn into a good player for you. I mean, if, if that type of player, if you sign a guy who's undrafted, and they come in and just become a regular player in your team, that's a win. That's a big win. You know, anytime you can you can pull in an undrafted guy, not all of them are going to turn into Marty St. Louis, but if you can bring in a guy, oh, who's not many player, are, not many are. That's yeah. a that's a tough yeah. comparison, right? Yeah, so there's you know, even to like Tyler Johnson, who was an undrafted player. Not not many guys are going to turn into that, especially uh, undrafted players are, are you know a, a big swing and a miss sometimes. But the the Ducks have had success doing that. A lot of teams have, and I'd be interested to see how Simon Benoit does if he becomes a bottom pairing defenseman that can stick around in this league. Then that's uh, that's that's good for the Ducks. If he still even even if he only spends his career with San Diego. That's still a pretty good win for the Ducks if he ends up being an effective player down there. So let's let's change topics really quick. Uh, Gordon Bombay in our chat, you know, he always has some goodies that he likes to talk about. And this one's uh, not anything offensive towards you like it usually is. Eddie. He knows you don't run the chat anymore. So yeah, he's usually. He knows. Yeah. yeah, he finally knows that I'm not in there anymore. So he, there's no point in chirping me. So Come he's... over to the YouTube. Then you can <laughs> chirp me. You stop being the only person who hangs out in our speaker chat. <laughs> Well, Jimmy's in here tonight too, as well. So, but uh, but Gordon or, uh, Gordon Bombay chimes in about uh, Paul Bissonnette. Um, You know, he works there at Zona Coyotes. I guess he mentioned online or on his podcast or something like that, spitting chicklets that uh, he was saying that they led the league in man games loss. And I was like, that's interesting. Really, they did. And I kind of I believed it because I was in my car. I didn't even think about it when I heard it. And he mentions it here in our chat. And he said the only reason why they lead the league in man, man games lost is because Dave Bolin and Marion Hosa are taking up ten point seven eight million in cap space and haven't count? played a game. And they, and they counted them. He counted oh. them in that man games lost. Okay, but they are still up to. I mean, they've had some big injuries this year. Arizona has no, I mean, no, no. They definitely been down have for a while. They and they've for had sure a lot have. of guys in and out. But yeah, if you're if you're counting those guys. Where they they equate for right now for about 130 games in man games <laughs> lost because they've missed the entire season. Then yeah, that's uh, that's going to be an issue. If that's the case, that's ridiculous, right? Like that's the funniest thing. It's like you're going to go out and point to them using that. It's like come on. And I'm an Arizona proponent to be successful this well, year. I, I really want them to make the playoffs, and you know I think they deserve it. And they have. The, I like Clayton Keller. I like yeah. Lar- um, Ekman Larson. So I hope they do well. What's interesting, though, is you know that a lot of the excuse of this year for the Ducks from people who think they're, they're still competitive and can make the playoffs has been injuries. Stop. That's been the main Stop. excuse Stop. for you know, but that's been that's I been know. an excuse. You've heard I it, and, and we've all heard it. 
But you've got a team like the Arizona Coyotes who've had just as many injuries to key players, and yet they're just about to make the playoffs. This was a big loss for them because they are only two points out of a playoff spot with a game in hand, I believe. So, you know, this is a team that's on the verge of making the playoffs despite all those injuries. They don't even have their starting goaltender. They've been going with Aiden Hill and Darcy Kemper for yeah. the entire year in net. Yet they're still about to make the playoffs, and their roster on paper is nowhere near as good as the Ducks. They're also having their own scoring issues where last time, I think this was a couple weeks ago, I looked at the lowest goal-scoring totals to lead a team you know, it was Jakob Silverberg and Clayton Keller had the lowest goal totals in leading their team on the season. Generally close to being a similar team, but the Ducks have more firepower up front, you would, have, you would think, looking at the roster. On the back end, their blue line looks a little bit better, but they're, they're way worse than the Arizona Coyotes this year. Yeah, they're and, 30 goals behind, and their goal differential, the Ducks' goal yeah. differential is minus 57. So you can't – and the Ducks have the better goaltender who's been around for more of the season. They've right. had John Gibson way longer than Arizona had Antti Ranta, who they've lost for I think probably about 75% of their season. And you, they're not playing weight on injuries. Nobody I mean, in our chat – I mean, YouTube chat or Spreaker, if you're live and, and you're able to, to, to type, none of you guys actually think the Ducks are a good team this year and it's just injuries, right? Please. Like that's, that's, that can't be a thing. There's just it's not true. You could say it's just that not if, true. if you didn't have a direct comparison to a team who's in a similar situation who's overcoming injuries. And yes, a lot of the the excuse will go right on to uh, Randy Carlisle. And oh well, be, I'm yeah, I'm a huge proponent of that. Sure. His system, yeah, that garbage. was a big big issue this year. But I think even without Randy Carlisle there for the entire year, this Ducks team isn't doing that good. They no, might be but... in a similar spot to where Arizona is. They might be pushing for a so playoff big deal spot. Is it's eight points. Eight points. Did yeah. You, did we do really want to get in a wild card spot and then get embarrassed in the playoffs? Like, but that's what I'm trying to say. It's like if if yeah. if he's part of the excuse, and if you want to say injuries can't be, then this team just isn't that good. I hate to say it, it just... Eddie. I hate to say it, man. But Chris Smith, uh, he and I get into it all the time. He's he's one of our subscribers. He's one of my one of my good friends. Um, he, he always has told me, dude, you say what you want about Randy Carlisle, but it's. It's coaching and composition. This team is not built correctly anymore. It's it's the past trying to live in the future. And you got Randy Carlisle. Sure, you can blame him also. But like this team's just not that good. And I was like, ah, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, come on. Carlisle's awful. And it's like, no, he's right. I mean, this team, the way it's built right now, just isn't that good. They don't have that punch to score. So No. Uh, and and the, core, the core was brought up playing a certain style that was successful back in the day the the rough and tumble big physical western conference team that that was strong up the middle and it's tough to transition out of that when you've been playing that type of hockey for 10 straight years and then all of a sudden you've got to change because the league's changing around you and you don't have those players you're really built to play in that modern style of game you've got a ryan getzlaff a Corey perry a ryan kessler right you've got those types of guys who have made for that old style of play ryan getzlaff can transition i think if any of them can it's ryan Getzlaff, just because he's one of the elite playmakers in this league and you still see a and guy he like slows joe the thornton. game down when he plays anyway he's that type yeah. of player he's not afraid well, he's to like slow joe the thornton. Game down. he's like joe thornton you see how the success that joe thornton still has in san jose because he's one of the few players who can slow the game down to his pace just because people have to respect his passing ability and, and ryan Getzlaff can do that but he can also shoot the puck as well and it's you know that that's a guy who can still thrive doing what he normally does 
but it's taken a toll on Corey Perry. You can see that, and and Ryan Kessler as well, along with injuries, of course, for Ryan Kessler. And this team just no longer can compete. And yes, it's on Randy Carlisle, and it's definitely it, it to some extent on injuries as well. Because if you have everybody healthy, it's easy to say this team would be doing better, right? If you have all your top players healthy for the entire season, you're generally going to win more sure. games. Sure. But so it's a mix of those, but. It's, it's hard not to sit here and just say that this team would be good if both of those things didn't happen. If Randy Carlisle wasn't here, if he was fired after the San Jose series last year, and if the Ducks were healthy all year, you know, maybe they win five more games. Yeah, maybe, but maybe. I don't even care about that. Like, who cares if they win five more games? Like, I, I, don't want them, I don't want them to make the playoffs this year. They need to start getting in that mode and, and then just not burning out in the, in the first round. But I get it's also a tough market here in Anaheim. We're considered a small market here. So you got to keep a winning team in the building, otherwise people don't show up. Sam Willies has spent a ton of money on the arena, a ton of money in marketing, a ton of money in players. They've been riding the cap now for two seasons. So they have a lot invested, and they love the team. So it's hard to say, yeah, we're going to lose right now. Um, I get it. It's not a smart business decision to lose money. And hockey teams rarely make money in this market. So I get where they're coming from at the same time. But I don't want to see them squeak into the playoffs. Um I I want to get to uh, to something here. Uh, we got to talk about Ryan Kessler, man. Hitting a thousand games is a big deal. Um, you and I have talked off and on this season about how much it sucks to see him in the position he, he's in, with the way he's been able to uh, unable to play rather, and just the, the steep decline in his career due to that that horrible injury to his hip, where he had basically had to relearn how to walk, relearn how to skate properly, um, missing significant time last year. Dude's a warrior, man, through and through, and it, it's tough to see him like that. But um, what is your favorite Ryan Kessler moment that you that you can remember? It just as him as a duck. It has to be the whole holding Corey or not, not Corey <laughs> Cam, Talbot. Cam Talbot's pad situation, right? Like he's done a lot of great things for this team, but he's been that type of guy where he just goes about his business and just effectively shuts down his players that night in, night out. A lot of the, the stuff you can remember too, of him being the, the King Slayer, the King killer, where he just always had a big game against the LA Kings. But for me, it always comes back down to that moment and how much drama that moment caused. And, you know, that coupled in with his, his bouts with Ryan Johansson were always great as well. I think those two things, and, and they're, they're not even, like, big moments for him. They were just great, memorable moments from Ryan Kessler that, you know, you always just remember him being a pastor doing stuff like that and, and him just being an effective player in all assets of the game. Yeah, I mean, I have a number of moments that I like to him. Uh, definitely the Ryan Johansson one sticks out. Um, but obviously the, you know, him holding the pad, all the controversy in the playoffs that season because of that, you know, all the Oilers fans coming out as upset as ever. And, you know, they just love to cry about everything. We've talked about them on our, on our bonus shows for Patreon a couple of times now at his mess and when the Oilers fan base is fun. Um, but I also remember Kessler was able to score, man. He was a potent guy. And yep. I remember one he was of the a consistent one, twenty goal guy for yeah. a while. He scored forty at one point, but yeah, he was playing back with in the Sedin, day. So he but, was playing with the Sedins. He was on their wing, so that's <laughs> that. That kind of makes sense. You're going to score forty if you're playing with Henrik and Daniel Sedin in their prime. Yeah, and I remember one of the goals he scored was actually against the Sharks in overtime. He ripped it top shelf. Um, it was it was back. Uh, well, maybe like 2014. I think it was his first year here. 
he ends up ripping one top shelf against the Sharks to end it for Anaheim in overtime. I remember that goal. So, and then I also remember him prior to coming to Anaheim um, when he got his legs stomped on by Chris Pronger. I don't know if you remember that incident, but when Pronger played for the Ducks, you know, Kessler's Kessler, he's still passed. But uh, Chris Pronger goes into the corner with him. Kessler falls, Pronger falls, Pronger gets up and just stomps on him. And then stomps on him again and hurts him. <laughs> I just remember Pronger seeing that. Pronger was a that. psycho at times. Like, Dude, he had that, you that did not mess where, with like, Chris Pronger. But yeah, I remember him stomping on Kessler's leg. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? You're like the biggest like, guy off on the, the ice. ice. He looks like, off the ice, Pronger looks like such a gentle giant, too. <laughs> like the, Just like his look and the way he like he contains himself off the ice. But the moment you get him on the ice, you get him pissed off. Like That guy just turns into a complete psycho. I love it, dude. Chris Pronger is one of my favorite players of all time. I, I love the nastiness in the game. I mean, I was I'm just I loved him when he played for the Ducks. I hated when the Ducks gonna play against him. Um, I, I love same Chris with Pronger, Ryan Kessler. Though. Yo, right? like, yeah, yeah. Ducks used he's, to have to go nasty. against Ryan Kessler. Corey Perry and Ryan Kessler hated each other. Mm-hmm. Like they they were the two they were two of the most hated guys in the league. And when they went against each other, uh, it was just a, a, like a shit show. Like they would just try and beat the hell out of each other, just piss each other off the entire game and. Now that you know, now when they were playing together, that was some of the best Ducks hockey we saw because you know the Ducks have always been one of the most hated teams in the league. But the moment Ryan Kessler came over here, Ooh. and you had Kessler and Perry on the ice at different times or even at the same time sometimes, just pissing other teams off, that was some of the the best hockey to watch for the Ducks because the other team they just got other teams' heads. It's it was like peak Ryan Kessler in Anaheim, like at least his peak in Anaheim was. Like you just said, man, it's it was like some of the best hockey we got to see. So, congratulations to Ryan Kester hitting a thousand games. I think that's awesome. The guy's an absolute warrior. I, I know we've talked a lot. Like I said, I know we talked a lot of a lot of crap about him and and how we feel like you know maybe he's better relegated to being bought out or just being our fourth line guy. And it's it sucks to say that, but uh, in all honesty, I'm man, glad he made it here, right? Like, yeah. There was at times a doubt that he might have never made it to a thousand games with the hip injury and, and him struggling to come back the last few times. And it's nice to see him at least make it there, especially if uh, if there is a chance he does get bought out this offseason. At least he was able to hit a thousand in a Ducks uniform, and you know the Ducks didn't have many guys hit a thousand in a ducks uniform before this and now they had Vermette, now kessler and next year they're gonna have getzlaff and both perry hit a thousand games next year so they're, they're gonna get used to celebrating players hit a thousand games because they, they've got some practice now yeah i know for sure I, I just do you think he comes back next season uh it, it's it's so tough because he probably shouldn't um as just like for his own health and then also just the ducks in general probably shouldn't bring him back they should probably buy him out not only just for the cap relief but also because he's not really an effective player for them anymore but i just still can't see them doing it i can't see bob murray taking that route and buying out ryan kessler as much I, as he says he will, wants man. dramatic change like that <laughs> yeah. that just doesn't seem like something he would do i mean he didn't ask kevin vx to wave is no move clause out of respect. Do you think he's going to, uh, you know, a guy that Kessler already said publicly he wasn't going to waive his no move clause because he doesn't want to leave this team? Do you think Bob Murray's now going to go out and buy this guy out? I, I don't think it happens. No, I don't think so either. And real quick, Jimmy in chat, um, he brings up a, a game. He says, Anyone remember a game against the Kings, the Ducks versus Kings? It was going into overtime. And he said someone from the Kings shot a puck at Jaguar. So this is back in the day. This is like 2007. 
at the final buzzer and Pronger just took him out and sucker punched him and just leveled him. And it was uh <laughs> it was Hanzus. When Hanzus played for the Kings, he shot a puck and Jagir saved it like at the buzzer and for whatever reason Pronger he just it was that kind of, you said he just has that psycho switch. He just went yeah. psycho and just drops him. Uh, it's just I just remember seeing that too. I had to bring that up in chat. I thought that was I remember that game. I totally remember that. <laughs> but what, one guy we have to talk about who just stepped back in the lineup is Sam Steele, and uh, originally got called up after scoring a three straight for San Diego. Went back down, didn't score in the game. He went back down to, but then scored two goals the game after that. So he's got five goals in his last five games for San Diego. Really starting to turn it on in, in, in goal scoring wise down with the goals. He's now at 17 goals and 17 assists for 34 points in 45 games with the goals. Having a pretty good solid season down there. Hasn't really been able to get things going with the Ducks. Had a good chance tonight playing with Ricardo Raquel and Jakob Silverberg since Devin Shore is out of the lineup. Looked pretty good. I don't think he was super impressive. But, you know, he, he looked he had some flashes where he looked pretty good. He's making some smart plays. And it's nice to see him getting rewarded. I know he probably got called up because of the injuries. But if anybody deserved to down there to fill up in the center spot right now, it's Sam Steele because he is playing well down with the goals. Yeah, I'm more or less going to be excited for Sam Steele ne- uh, next season. Like, it's, yeah. he just hasn't been that guy that's shown up this year in his time with the Ducks and really made any sort of um, – highlight you know what I mean in my head like thinking about what Max Jones has been able to show even even though he hasn't scored he's visible every time he's on the ice Troy Terry Terry. I mean he's got two goals in the last few games for himself exactly so those two guys have been great and just the the limited time that we've seen Sam Steele I just feel like he's just kind of he I don't really even know he's on the ice sometimes it's it's crazy how the mighty have fallen in Sam Steele where at one point just ridiculous hype around this guy when he was producing at the level he was producing in the whl when he had his chl player of the year season where he had like 131 points Mm -hmm. then he went to the world juniors the next year and and played really well for canada won a gold medal with them and uh now all of a sudden you've got probably three guys in front of him you've got um, that that hype has switched over to maxim comtois and and that's easy to do when a guy is still in junior and is able to put up ridiculous point totals, right? Like like Maxime Comtois is doing this year, it's easy to get hyped up about that because you see, you know, forty goals and ninety points, and like in your head, you're like, oh, like imagine if he was doing that in the NHL, and you have to remember that that translates over at a lower rate. You know, he's not going to immediately step into the NHL and, and, and do that. But that hype has moved on to Comtois, to Max Jones, back to Troy Terry in some instance since he's come up and playing well and now putting the puck in the back of the net. And Sam Steele all of a sudden finds himself as probably number four in the Ducks prospect system, where at one point he was a clear number one. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. He just, yeah, he was the guy I was, I was stoked about. You see those high numbers, and then he kind of fell off after that. And then coming over to the NHL just hasn't really been the same that you would come to expect. But that's tough. It's always tough to gauge players. I mean, it's there's some guys who could just do it at every other league but the NHL. Not saying Steele's that guy. Very, very, very yeah. small amount of games. And he's um, young. And he's young. But uh, this kind of just goes along with our points, Ed, that you and I have been saying. Like, all these highly touted prospects that us Ducks fans, you know, at one point we're excited about or still are excited about, you just never know what they're going to be. 
So when you talk about replacing a Ryan Getzloff, a Corey Perry, a Ryan Kessler, you got to be very careful how much stock you put into these kids because that's a lot of pressure, one, to put on these guys. And two, you're talking about players who are elite. And so you're asking these guys to fill those roles. I mean, there's no guarantees in any sort of in any, any sort of prospect. You just got to see how it pans out. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, like, you look at rookie production this year in the AHL, and he's not doing that bad in comparison. Like, the, you know, the, the top two guys right now are, are Bear Belay and Drake Batherson, who are above a point per game. And then everybody else is pretty much at or below that. You know, like Jordan Kiru with St. Louis, and, and Troy Terry was at 41 points in 41 games in the AHL. And then a guy like Logan Brown is a highly touted prospect for the Ottawa Senators is at 35 points in 41 games. And then you get down to Sam Steele, who's at 34 and 45. Uh-huh. And another guy who's right around him is Martin Echas in Carolina system, who at one point in Corey Prodman's list was one of the best, you know, one of the top three prospects in, in, you know, in the entire league. And he's at 34 points in 47 games. So Sam Steele's having a pretty good rookie season in the AHL. So it's not like he went down there and struggled. I'd be a no. little bit more worried if he was in with the goals right now and wasn't producing at the rate that he is. But he's having a, a pretty good year as a rookie in San Diego. And I just think it's going to take some more time for him. Not everybody can adapt, especially centers. It's really difficult. And they've been using him at center as well, which is going to be a slower development curve for that type of player because not only you know he can't just come in on the wing like some centers do and just focus on offense. Then they slowly move him into the center position and he can start getting used to the defensive responsibility that comes along with playing in the NHL. The Ducks have just said, hey, we're throwing you right into center. Every time he comes up, I think I don't think there's been a game where he hasn't played center. I think every time that he's been up in the Ducks lineup, he's been at the center position, which is a very tough transition for any player. So I think it's going to take him a little bit more time. But eventually when he gets here and gets comfortable, I think he's going to get back up to being a second or third line player on this team. So I know we're, we're getting close to the time where we got to look at our questions that we got from our listeners. One more. You're a big fan of Corey Perry, and we haven't talked a lot about Corey Perry since his return. He's now played 16 games with the Ducks. What's your overall feel on him? Because um, mine is he's kind of been the same guy. He's just not burying the puck at a high enough rate. He's come back yeah. and actually looked pretty similar to where he was before injury. Yeah, I'm getting chirped in the chat. <laughs> like... I'm on American players. Gordon Bombay found his way over to YouTube, and uh, he said if we'd land Hughes, well, I hate him for being American. And then Joseph said, I have a poster of Austin Matthews over my bed. <laughs> so I don't know why I do this anymore. Every every night I come in here, I just get Jim uh, Brady, American players. Uh, but on to Corey Perry. Uh, yeah, he's been pretty much the same guy. Right, he he has he's been a little bit better. I think I've liked a bit more of what I've seen from him compared to the last couple of years. I think he's getting back in front of the net. He's getting more into the positions we're used to seeing him in. The problem is he's still not putting the puck in the back of the net. Right, right. like it, it, you you can look better and get in in the positions that you used to get in, but if you're not putting the puck in the back of the net, then it's not going to matter. And it, it's different, you know, when you look at a guy like Max Jones, who's still making things happen, and he just looks snake bitten. Perry looks better, but I don't look at him and say, oh, he's unlucky, right? I, I still don't see that in him. I just don't think he is playing well enough 
to put the puck in the back of the net. He's had some good chances where he's missed. He had a, a one-timer this game where he shot it right into the goaltender. He had mm-hmm. another similar opportunity to that a couple games ago where he did the exact same thing. He's just not, I don't think, quick enough to get into those spots. And the way his goals are going to come right now is if he gets a rebound in front of the net or if he can get in a spot where he can use his lethal shot. But he's not, doesn't really have the speed to get in those positions anymore and to really keep up. So I, I you know, I think it's a little bit of the same, a little bit better, but it, you're not, you know, if he's not putting the puck in the back of the net, it, it isn't that great for Corey Perry. I mean, he's got two goals, two assists, four points, right? It's not like he's killing it. One of those goals was on a power play. Um, but he had a couple, he's had, not a couple, he's had several close calls where he probably should have buried the puck or there should have been more luck on his side, right? It's just, it's been, it's been tough. I would rather see what he's going to look like here next season in the beginning before I judge whether or not he's he's going to get some of his mojo back. But um, we've, we I don't want to talk anymore about contracts, but if he was a 25-goal guy next season, would you be stoked about it? If Corey Perry was? Yeah. Oh, 100%. If he was a 25-goal guy and that's all he's going to hit, 25 he goals, 20, 40 assists, if he hits over or 40 20 points. Next year. If he hits over 20 next year, I'll be happy. That's all we need so if he's a 20-20 guy, you're cool. Yeah, I'm fine with it because that's more than what he's been producing lately. I think I don't think he'll be 20. I feel like if he hits 20, he's like he's a 20-30 guy. If he's hitting 20 goals, if he's hitting 20 goals, he's he's feeling it and having a good year. Um, he, but if he does hit 20-20, I'm still fine with that. You know, the the Ducks need depth goal goal scoring wherever it's going to come from, and it's never a bad thing to have another another 20 goal score. You can dispute contracts as much as you like, but it's not going to change the fact. No, that Ducks and they, and they paid him back in the day for what he did. It's you know what I mean. Yeah. That's just the way it was. It's not going to change everything or anything. It's not. It's not going to change the fact that Ducks are paying him nine million dollars, right? Like, no. he, if he puts up twenty goals, he puts up twenty goals, and that helps the team. You know, the, the Ducks can use goal scoring from anybody at this point. So if Corey Perry can get back up to a twenty goal score, then I'm completely fine with that. All right. So before we get to our listener questions, we got to announce again. Uh, we have a watch party coming up. We've announced it uh, on Facebook. We created the event. I'm going to put it on Instagram tonight and Twitter, or probably tomorrow morning. It's probably a better idea. Most people are probably in bed. It's kind of late. Um, if you're not already listening to the show, but, um, we're also, you know, that's going to be on March 23rd. We're also having Eddie fly in for that. So Eddie will be here for the March 23rd watch party. It's off the Imperial on the Palma, same shopping center as cinema city movie theater. It's craftsman wood fire pizza. It's in the back. Great food, great happy hour menu. I'm working on a deal. Like I've said a million times already, uh, with the manager there to give us, um, some sort of specials. So we can get you know better prices, but the prices are already great there. They have craft beer, they have regular, they have your regular you know local beers, um, you know your Coors Lights, I guess if you're a, a fan like Jason and I are. Um, and then also they have great pizza and great burgers. So cruise on by. It's Ducks and Kings. Should be a good time. We're gonna have plenty of prizes to raffle off. Um, so really looking forward to that. And then uh, I want to give a shout out real quick, Eddie, to our two new Patreon people who have subscribed. We have Jacob Moeller, who is one of our elite members now. Thank you, Jacob, for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. And then also Shane Austin, who's coming in and also supporting us again. So welcome back, Shane. Good to have you back. Thank you both so much for joining our Patreon. Uh, We're working on a bonus show for this weekend, so stay tuned for that. Um, We got four of them coming this month. So four bonus shows for our Patreon subscribers, plus all the other perks. You can go check it out there on our patreon feed so anyways man let's get to uh let's get to our listener questions 
Uh, we had a couple in chat. One from Chris Smith. He said, if the Ducks end up with fourth or fifth pick, do you see them trading down to maybe seven or eight to get a winger rather than draft Kozen, Stack, or Zegras since they don't have so many young – or since they have so many young centers from the recent draft? Mm, good point. Um, yeah, maybe. It's a solid point. It, it, yeah, it is a solid point. Um, the, the top half of this draft, even like the top uh, 15 – is really still all centers. Like, the, the Ducks can't really go wrong uh, trading down at this point. I don't know. I think if they get a top five, they'd more so look to trading up rather than trading down. And, and I would argue that they maybe don't have that much center depth in their system. When you look at they have Sam Steele and Isaac Lindstrom, uh, I don't know if, if Antoine Morand is going to be a center in this league long term. There's a, a, a very low possibility. I think he's going to be a, a center. I think he's a little bit too small. And I just think he's more suited to be a winger. Uh, so then that's it. You've got Sam Steele and you've got Isaac Lindstrom. And then, you know, Ricardo Kellis is moved to the wing. And that's where he's going to be. Eventually, Adam Henrique's not going to be here. And you've only got a few more years uh, of Ryan Getzlaff. So Adam Henrique's he, not going to be here? Is that what you said? <laughs> he's not going to be here in three or four years. I, I don't think so. He's going to get picked up by Seattle, or he's going to get traded at some point. Um, and, and, you know, you look at the, the top end of the draft, the, the two best wingers are probably going to go in the top five in Capocacco and Vasily pulls Colson. And then you've got a majority of centers for really – the rest of the top 10 throw in a couple defensemen for teams that are going to be specifically looking for defensemen and the best wingers start to come around 15 16 to 20 you get uh, Raphael Lafoy you get Cole Caulfield you get you know if you do get Dylan Cozens he can play on the wing um, so if, you, if you're the Ducks, I think you go and you get that winger with that late pick if you have. If you don't want to grab a defenseman with that pick, there's going to be a ton of wingers and a ton of defensemen available from 20 to 31 where you can go out and get that uh, that that winger or that defenseman. So I, I think that's what you would you would do rather than trading down. So who do you think they actually grab then? Uh, it depends where they draft. Like the, I've had a lot of people ask me lately, um, you know, who should the Ducks get and and you know, are you going to write an article again on who you think the Ducks get? <laughs> I, I usually wait. I, I wait until I know better where they're going to draft because right now it could be anywhere. It could be in the top five, and then it's an easier discussion on who they should draft. Or you know, if they end up getting seven to, to ten, then it's a little bit different of a discussion. And if they even fall further than that and get anywhere from ten to fifteen, you know, right now we don't know. They could finish anywhere from fifteen to one because of how close the standings are, and if they continue to win games, so. Once it gets closer, once there's about four, you know, three or four games left in the season, and you have a better idea, hopefully at that point of, of uh, you know, the range that they're going to be drafting in, I, I think it makes more sense. But you know, if we just take it as if the se- season ended today, and they're at five, you would have to think that Dylan Cozens is still an option. Kirby Dak is probably still an option. Maybe Trevor Zegras if they want to go the long-term approach, or Alex Turcott. Those are all three of those guys are centers. So I think if you still have a top five or even a top ten pick, if you're the Ducks, I think you have to go center, especially if you're looking for that elite player. So Gordon Bombay in our chat says he thinks the blue line depth is kind of depleted, no? It is, yeah. And and that's why, honestly, I think you take the center with the top pick. And then I know the Ducks will probably take the best man available approach with their late pick. 
And there's a very good chance that's a defenseman. And that's where the majority of the defensemen lie in this draft are from 20 to 31. There's a couple wingers down there, so the Ducks have a couple of options. But if I were the Ducks, I would hopefully get one of the better centers in the draft with the top five pick. And then also with that uh, 20 to 31 pick, go out there and grab a defenseman to put back into the system because it is looking pretty bleak right now. The only prospect you have left is Josh Mahura. And, and that's pretty much it because I think Jakob Larson, I wouldn't consider him a prospect per se anymore. And uh, the rest of the guys are up with the team. Brennan Gooley's playing enough time and he'll probably play the majority of the season with the Ducks next year that he wouldn't even be considered a prospect. All right, you want to go to, let's see. We can go to Facebook if you want really quick. Yeah, sure. You got it pulled up? Yep. So, Joseph Holmes, I don't know if you saw this video, but he says, uh, so this video went viral around the Ducks fan base. How much did you laugh before you started crying in the shower? It's the How to Destroy a Franchise 101. I know that you have seen this. Yeah. That was one of the funniest videos I've seen, and it was so damn true. That was so damn true. Yeah. I loved every second of that. (laughs) That guy does, I guess he does them for a lot of teams, but... uh... Did a lot of research, obviously. Oh, it yeah. felt like it was coming from an Anaheim Ducks fan. That's how much research that, that he did. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you got to go check out that, that video on YouTube because it's just hilarious. Um, I'm not going to play it here because I don't think I can, with usage rights, I don't think I can actually play it. Um, but make sure you go check it out because it's hilarious. Like, I mean, he breaks down literally everything we've probably thought of this entire season, uh, ranging from Randy Carlisle, Bob Murray, uh, just literally everything it's uh it's the perfect video and it's great because like uh this year we can kind of laugh at it i think uh, if it were, we we're trying to make the playoffs or or whatever like we can kind of laugh at our own misery as ducks fans this year so it's a perfect video to go watch it, it, it's honestly it's from the it's, urinating it's tree lot. is the name of uh the channel urinating tree it's got two hundred and thirty six thousand subscribers it's brilliant one of my favorite parts on it was uh was the whole thing bringing back Randy Carlisle after an awful season in Toronto. Like, <laughs> to come in and be the savior. It's like, yeah, that's what we all kind of thought. Is why the hell we bring him back Randy Carlisle? So, yeah, um, that was a great video. And, honestly, it, it was it was worth the watch, even if it's sad, even if it's true. So, yes, Joseph, I, uh, I, I, did, I cried, but it was mostly tears of laughter just because at this point of the season, it's what we're, we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to the ruining of, uh, of the year in order to get a good draft pick. Um, Nick Webb always comes in with good ones here. He has, do you believe the young forward core, meaning Jones, Steele, Terry, etc., will continue to be relentless when they become the core of the team of the future? All of the young guys, to me, play very energized and active defensive game. Working hard along the boards and have high and have high motors. Do you think that continues, or are they doing that now just to make an impression? I wow, personally feel like that's tough. I, I I think it's dude. I think it's the way they play. I think it's the way they play. I, I especially Jones and especially Troy Terry. They are just tenacious on the puck, and I see that more from Jones than anything. Jones has been just a beast. That guy. How many times do you have you seen him? skate all the way up 200 feet in the play and then the puck gets turned over after he either he shoots it or loses it or passes it and his, his teammate loses it and then he buries his head down to the ice and is just giving it all going back there was a play the other night where he got pushed from his teammate from behind in the ass to get him up further ahead when he was skating up the guy is just they're, they're just flooring it they're flooring it around the ice and it shows i really i really love the effort from these guys and i think it's just the way they play 
Yeah, I think it's the way they play too. I mean, there there probably is a little bit of them trying to impress the coaches a bit. I'm sure there is. I mean, that there's always that case when you're not a, a bet. You know, you're not a guarantee to stick around, right? Like these guys can still easily get sent down to San Diego. They probably will to finish the season. You would think because they're eligible for the playoffs. You at would one hope. Point. I want to go watch a Gold's playoff game. But yeah, this is an audition for next year. And, and, you know, this this if you if you're making a depression now then it's a little bit easier at training camp next year to get on the roster if they're like, oh, wow, like, remember how this guy played last year? And you probably don't have to go out and impress as much, I guess you could say, at training camp and at rookie camp uh, based on what you did last year. So I, I think it's a bit of both, but I just think that's, especially this is how Max Jones plays. I think this, you know, this is the way he's played at every level where he's just nonstop. And he just has a ton of energy, plays with a lot of passion, a ton of pride. And uh, I, I think that's going to be the way he plays for his entire career. I've been a little bit surprised that Troy Terry has been just as motivated. And uh, I've really seen a, an improvement in his game since the first part of the season. You know, you saw a lot of just no confidence, right, in, in the beginning part when he um, when he first started the season with the, with the, uh, with the Ducks, then went down to San Diego came back up and looked like a completely different player and he's getting better game by game he's looking like a lot a lot more confident player and he's willing to shoot the puck and, and now he's actually putting the puck in the back of the net so i think both of them are making a case to to be here next year and to be here for the entire season and we got another question here and it's actually an instagram the question is from caitlin she says do you think sylvie is getting more goals this year since he isn't like basically a star on the shutdown line kind of an interesting point i like that angle how do you feel about that uh, i think he gets more opportunities not mm-hmm. being on that line i mean we've always talked about the fact that he him playing with ryan kessler and andrew cogliano is going to be difficult even kessler when he was playing his best it's going to be difficult for him to get the best offensive opportunities but then the problem is we've seen him with gets at times and it really hasn't changed right like he's still in that mindset of being a defensive player and uh puts up the same numbers so i think it is a, a small byproduct of that especially lately with ryan kessler going down with injury and then obviously andrew cogliano moving on that you can't put him on that line anymore because ryan kessler just isn't the same player like i remember when ryan kessler was at his best there were times when that line was the top scoring line for the ducks for a long period of time mm-hmm. where it was silverberg and kessler were just continuing to score and andrew cogliano would chip in every now and then but they were at times the only line scoring for the Ducks where times where Ryan Getzlaff was struggling and, and, and uh, Corey Perry was struggling and Ricard Raquel couldn't get things going and Adam Henrique's line couldn't get things going. We still had that reliable shutdown line that eventually could still put the puck in the back of the net. But you know now if you put him down there, it's a detriment to him and he's not going to be getting as many chances. So I think the way he's producing this year definitely is a product of him not being with Ryan Kessler. Unfortunately, but yeah, I would agree with you on that, man, for sure, hundred um, percent. Unless you have any other questions, man, I think we're I think we're done for the night. I think we're good. All right, man. Well, everybody, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, uh, tomorrow will be an interesting one. Eddie's got a lot of homework to do, so I don't know about his availability. And Jason and I will be at the Ducks game. Um, we're going to be heading there with a, a bunch of buddies that we know from hockey and uh, enjoying the Ducks versus the Blues at Honda Center tomorrow night. So if you want to meet up with us. Uh, we'll probably send out a tweet as to where we're going to be in intermission. or uh, I think we're doing pregame at Noble Ales. So if you guys are there, come by and say hi. We'd love to chat with you. 
And uh, I think Jay and I are doing the post game, so it might be a little bit later than normal, but we're going to hop on and do it and take care of business as long as all goes well. We'll keep you guys posted on that, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much. See you guys.